You're listening to Null and Void with Tony Grundy and Andy Callahan, a For The Now media production. Hello, and it gives me the greatest of pleasure to welcome you to episode 73 of the Null and Void sports podcast. I really can't believe we're nearly at the 18-month mark already. With Tony still in Australia, I'm flying solo this week. But for those who listened to last week's show where Paddy and I set Tony the challenge of undertaking some of the local sports, then head over to our Facebook and Instagram pages. He didn't manage to get a hold of a surfboard up in the hills above Perth, but he did manage to get on a skateboard. So if you want to see proof of Tony reliving a misspent youth, then the evidence is there on the socials for you to see. Overall, though, I don't blame him for staying on dry land. There's no chance of a shark attack sticking on a skateboard rather than getting on a surfboard. My weekend was much more sedate, watching the opening round of the Women's Rugby World Cup. I will say I'm not sure how sustainable it is getting up at three o'clock on Saturday and Sunday mornings, but it just shows you the commitment of the team here at Null and Void to bring you our first-hand reviews of sports events by getting up at such an ungodly hour, even at the weekends. So we'll continue to do that over the next couple of weeks until hopefully... England beat New Zealand in the final. So starting with the rugby, England put in a great second half performance against Fiji. After a slightly nervous first half at Eden Park, they went into the break 24-14 up. Not sure what was in the halftime oranges, but it certainly worked as England ran in 60 points in the second half to end up winning 84-19. Two of the other home nations were playing against each other with last-minute heartache for Scotland. With the scores tied at 15-all and the clock already into the red, Wales were awarded a penalty, which they successfully converted to win 18-15. With New Zealand and Australia also in their group, it now looks really difficult for Scotland to make it out of the pool stages and into the quarterfinals. So they would have to beat one of either New Zealand or Australia, which I think would be a big upset. Fingers crossed they can do it and they go through as well as Wales, but it's it's a mountain to climb. So good luck to them in their next games. New Zealand beat Australia to take control of that group and France beat South Africa to tee up what should be a group deciding game against England this coming weekend. If it was positive stories coming from the women's game, then it's absolute horror stories coming from the men's game with Worcester laying off all of their players as the club was wound up by the administrators and the RFU confirming that they will be relegated down into the championship next season. News this week means that Wasps look as though they could be joining them in the championship unless a last-minute deal can be finalised, otherwise they too will be put into administration. It's a really tough time for the game in England with a number of other clubs facing financial pressures and challenges the lost revenue of games against Wasps and Worcester won't help. Clubs are predicting that will cost them about £250,000 per game in lost income and uh, uncovered expenses. So it really leaves the whole top flight in English rugby in a very perilous position. Remember last week, Paddy and I were talking about the fact that across the 13 clubs, as then were, now 11, there was about £500 million worth of debt being carried. So 
each and every time a club goes into administration, not only is it terrible for the players, the staff and the fans, but it's also almost another coffin in the nail of all the other professional clubs across the division and across the league. In more happy news, in Rugby League, the World Cup kicks off this weekend, with England taking on Samoa at St James's Park in Newcastle. This marks the start of six weeks of Rugby League's global competition, and it's the first time ever that the men's, women's and wheelchair World Cups have been held at the same time and in the same country. And in fact, some of the games are double headers, the women's and the men's games, including both finals being on the 19th of November at Old Trafford. I'll be there watching the game, um, both on Saturday and the final, but on Saturday, I'll be watching in Newcastle before a quick trip down the M1 to York to cheer on my friend John Walsh, who's decided, madcap celebrations of his 40th birthday, that he's going to mark it by running the Yorkshire Marathon on Sunday. So an early happy birthday, John, and good luck with the aching legs on Monday morning. Null and Void's Tony wasn't the only Englishman in Perth this weekend. The England cricket team played the first of three T20 World Cup warm-up games against Australia before the World Cup kicks off next weekend in Australia. England won the game, but there was controversy over whether the Australian batter Cameron Wade had acted unfairly in blocking Mark Wood from going for a catch by sticking his arm out and preventing him, and whether he should have been given out under the law of obstructing the field. The England skipper Josh Butler said he decided not to appeal, in which case Wade would definitely have been given out, because A, it was a warm-up game and not a World Cup match, and B, I love this one, he didn't want to get the Aussie crowd and media offside before the World Cup even gets underway. Joss, I've got news for you. You're an England team in Australia. The media and the fans are already going to be offside, no matter what you do. But England wrapped up the series on Tuesday with an eight-run win to leave the final game on Friday as a dead rubber. So England have already won the series 2-0, irrespective of what happens on Friday. I think Paddy, who was my co-guest last week, wasn't able to contain his excitement after Arsenal backed up their derby win over Spurs with a dramatic 3-2 win over Liverpool in the Premier League. Over the last few seasons, I think it's been consistency that's cost Arsenal. They would have a great win one week, but then not necessarily back it up the following week. I think if they manage to now add consistency to the undoubted talent there is in that squad, then maybe this could be the year that the Gunners are really challenging Man City at the top of the table. In women's football, the Lionesses had a hard-won win over the reigning world champions, the USA, before their 15-game winning streak that, of course, included the amazing Euros final in the summer, came to an end with a nil-nil draw with the Czech Republic. Ireland's women beat Scotland in a World Cup playoff, with Amber Barrett scoring the only goal of the game, and in doing so, securing the country's first ever place at a Women's World Cup. So Ireland are off to Australia and New Zealand next year to take part for the very first time in the World Cup. So brilliant to see them there, but again, hard lines to Scotland. 
And in Formula One, Max Verstappen won the Japanese Grand Prix with Red Bull teammate Sergio Perez in second place. It was a race that was truncated by horrendous rain. So initially, people weren't sure whether this win had secured a second successive Drivers' Championship for Verstappen because previously, truncated races hadn't qualified for full points. But the governing body, the FIA, confirmed that full points had been awarded because it appears when the rules were being rewritten over the winter after controversy in truncated races last year, somebody forgot to copy that rule across. So the rule about cutting short the points had just been missed out as they rewrote the rules. So it was confirmed at the end of the race after people had gone through the rule book. Yet again, it seems to be that F1 races and F1 championships had decided as much off the track as they are on it. But at that point, it was confirmed that Verstappen had won the 2022 Drivers' Championships. Gloss, however, was slightly taken off the whim by the confirmation that Red Bull had broken the budget cap for the 2021 season, going 7% over the allotted £114 million spending limit. The FIA said it's a minor breach and is now looking at what appropriate action to take in punishing Red Bull for the offence. And possible sanctions include a fine, docking them constructors' championship points, or even docking drivers' points. And for those of you that remember, the final race in Abu Dhabi last year came down to the final lap where Verstappen overtook Hamilton to win the race and win the drivers' championship. So if he's docked points, it could be that the drivers' championship 10, 11 months later, converts back to Lewis Hamilton winning and gets taken off for Stappen. I think the smart money is on a financial penalty, but you don't know. So whether or not it could be that Verstappen could win the 2022 championship and lose the 2021 championship in the same month remains to be seen. So watch this space, as we always say. So on to contacts. And we've had some really positive feedback and comments on Patrick's contribution last week as co-host, saying it was clear that he was an established speaker. And I think even that you could tell that he has a high-powered job was the comment from my mum. Well, hate to disappoint you, Mrs. C, but he hasn't got a high-powered job, but he is very, very good at what he does. There's also great feedback on our guest, Emily, with people saying that her love of rugby really shone through and that she brought a really good, balanced view of the game. And also people like the fact that she was, from her own experience, encouraging people to get involved in any way, shape or form, not having to necessarily play, but encouraging people to get involved and the, the benefits, the fun, the friendship that she's had from her life in rugby since moving over from hockey. We've also had an update from our intrepid explorer in Australia. And Tony sends through the following. How are you going, as they say here? I do so hope you like my pictures at your request of me partaking in Aussie sport. You did say skateboarding, didn't you? Anyway, I'm reporting from Perth again for your sporting delight and to give you insight into Aussie sports. Tonight, I want to look at Australian rugby. To me, rugby in the UK is reasonably straightforward. You have rugby union and rugby league. 
You could argue in Australia it's similar, except AFL is Aussie rules football and NRL is the National Rugby League, which is the equivalent of our rugby league. However, AFL is known in parts of Australia as footy. Not to be confused with soccer, which a woman annoyingly asked me on the plane, you know, soccer, the game that you Brits play. Are you still paying attention? Keep up. Anyway, recently, the two codes had their respective playoff finals. In the NRL final, Panthers beat the Eels 28-12, a match that I managed to watch the last 20 minutes of. In the AFL final, Geelong beat Sydney Swans 133-51, to a real thrashing. I have to whisper that bit, though, because my son-in-law is a Swans fan, and after all, I am staying at their house. AFL is the sixth most popular sport in Australia, whilst NRL is the ninth. I'm sure my in-depth analysis of the two codes would have been most useful and most riveting to you lucky null and voiders. G'day from Perth. So thanks for that update, Tony. And I just hope that after talking about a Swans loss and then England winning in the cricket against the Aussies, that you've not been moved outside into the dog's kennel to sleep. So... Bringing in our guest for this week. Monday marked World Mental Health Awareness Day. So I thought I'd bring back a recent guest to talk about how sports and exercise can really help with mental well-being and dealing with stress, as well as offering some quick practical hints and tips that our listeners can easily incorporate into their day to manage their own stress levels. So please join me in giving a very warm welcome back to Peak Performance Coach, clinical hypnotherapist and psychotherapist, Andy McMenemy, who has kindly taken time out of his family holiday to join us today. Hi, Andy. How's it going? Andy, it's going really well, thank you. I'm currently speaking to you from northern Cyprus, where it's 27 degrees. Not jealous in the slightest, Andy, at all, as I'm sat here in uh, grey London at about uh, 10 degrees. So not jealous in one little bit. But I can see by the, uh, although our listeners can't see it, can see very much that you're uh, sat there shirt sleeve order and enjoying the sunshine. So uh, sounds that's great. Um, you managing to get out walking and training in the heat? You know, I have actually. It's been lovely to watch the sun come up in the morning. And, uh, and it's to be such a pleasant temperature that you could be out in shorts and a T-shirt. Uh, putting in some mileage to uh, to get those endorphins playing in, our, in my favour and reducing stress loads. Brilliant. And that's exactly what we were going to talk about today, Andy. That leads us nicely into it. So um, obviously this week it was World Mental Health Awareness Day. So I wanted to talk to you with your um, expertise background in terms of how sport helps people, man- sport and exercise helps people manage their mental health and mental well-being. So what are some of the key things that you've found in terms of when you're training, you're exercising for some of your long distance and endurance events that have been the benefits for you in terms of your mental health and well-being? Well, for sure, there's there's certainly many benefits to come from taking physical activity, let alone being outside in the sunshine whenever we can. Getting the vitamin D, you know, from sunshine. I know that's not so much easy to do. So easy to do, I should say, uh, during the wintertime in, in the UK. But natural sunlight is actually quite a beneficial um, process for our sleep, Andy. Um, If many people are experiencing stress, chronic stress or acute stress, acute being short and sharp, chronic being long term, it's really important that they get the benefit of good restorative sleep. 
and um, getting natural daylight into our eyes as early as possible during the day starts um, a process of our circadian rhythm. And it releases a chemical called adenosine, which is our sleep clock. And sure enough, 12 to 15 hours later, uh, we start to feel sleepy. So getting exercise outside absolutely helps with our stress release. Um, and it helps us to be able to stimulate good quality sleep, which many people seem to lack when they're stressed, Andy. Yeah, I mean, certainly, you know, people talk about a lack of sleep as one of the sort of key symptoms, I guess, of, of stress. But also, I guess, the flip side of that is it's something that is can also then cause and exacerbate it. There can be lots of reasons for it. Um, primarily, when we're stressed, I guess it'd be interesting to talk about the mechanism of stress, wouldn't it? Mm. So when we, when we think about what we call stress, it's a sensation of feeling like we've got too much to do, we're not in control, um, too much pressure, perhaps not enough resources. There may be um, you know, implications for not hitting deadlines. All of these things activate our stress response in the body. And the way that operates is our brain um, perceives a threat in that process. You know, if I don't achieve the deadline, if I don't achieve my goals and my uh, aspirations, then there's going to be a consequence which the brain perceives as a threat to its sense of security and well-being. And whenever that happens, Andy, naturally, we start to get two chemicals that the body produces. So we get cortisol and we get adrenaline, which people may be familiar with. Adrenaline makes the blood, you know, the, the lungs pump um, oxygen into the bloodstream. The heart pumps that oxygenated blood around the body. Mm -hmm. And cortisol serves the purpose of releasing glycogen from the muscles to fuel us for this fight or flight because we may be in dire danger. That's where it came from in our evolutionary past. So the body is being energized for action. But you know, and I know today, most of our primary stresses are not physical threats. They're psychological <laughs> stress. Yeah. So we constantly process the perception of that psychological stress, that loss of control. And um, we, we start to produce these chemicals instantly, which rev the body up all the time. I, I guess it's the, the, the downside of what was um, a, a system, as you say, that was designed to protect us when we were cavemen and cavewomen. But as we've evolved, always the challenges of life have evolved, our coping mechanisms in terms of how the body reacts haven't evolved. Correct. And what we tend to do is, whereas when, if we go back to caveman days, we would have literally de-stressed around the campfire. You know, as guys, as hunters, we would have debriefed the hunt. We would have, you know, examined the parts where we struggled to do whatever we were trying to do or the, perhaps any threats. And we would have allowed our psychological stressors just to be depleted. But nowadays, you know, we're stressed at work. We take work home with us. There may be family issues. The current economic climate certainly isn't helping. And people feel an overwhelming kind of pressure on them at all times. Mm. And um, there is a positive element to stress as well. We must remember this. It helps us to be productive. And uh, there was an endocrinologist um, back in the early 60s, Hans Salia, who identified um, a word we call called eustress, which is the positive psycho um, process related to stress. So that the psychology, which is positively perceived from being stretched, energized, infused, excited, goal seeking, all of these things give us a positive psychology. It's only when we tip over into the feeling of loss of control that the real stress chemicals can't start pumping in. 
And the reason why exercise is so good, Andy, is because it helps us to discharge all of that cortisol. It helps us to express it in a way that the body's designed to do, taking action instead of being frozen stuck. Mm. So I guess then how do sports people at the top level um, who are going out to perform manage that balance between getting the right level of stress to fire them up for the performance, but not letting it tip over into a way that affects their performance? And I guess we see it where it does affect their performance and people talk about a player or a team choked or, um, you know, those sort of, I know those words aren't necessarily helpful, but it is at the common parlance of basically when the stress got too much for a team. I mean, you know, looking at sort of, I know you and I are both rugby fans and, uh, you know, the Rugby League World Cup coming up this weekend that I've talked about earlier in the um, pod. How is it that England and Samoa opening game, it's the opening game of a tournament. They're sat there in the changing room before they go out. How do they manage that stress level so that it's just at the right, almost that knife edge of being at the perfect level to get the perfect performance? Yeah, I think what we're talking about there is the adrenaline, aren't we? We're talking about the, the psyching effect of adrenaline, you know, warming the body up and, and making sure that we are functioning cognitively. So part of the challenge with cortisol is that it closes down the prefrontal cortex. If the listeners were to put their hands above their eyebrows, um, the piece of brain that's immediately behind the, the, the hand above the eyebrows is the prefrontal cortex, which is the seat of logic and reasoning. Yeah, And cortisol has a process of shutting that down. Because when we're in stress mode, fight or flight mode, we don't need to stop and think about what we're going to do. We just need to be able to act instinctively um, and take immediate action. So I guess that the benefit for the sports people is that they have drilled and skilled, you know, the techniques and the plays they're going to play to a level where they become instinctive. They're no longer having to think about what comes. It naturally flows. And mm -hmm. many sports people talk about being in a state of flow, don't they? Yeah, that sort of in the zone or or, or that really? state of flow. Yeah, that that means that people are are doing what they need to do instinctively. So so how how can people, our listeners who want to get that in their, you know, when they're going out for a run, when they're going out doing their sport and exercise, that game of golf, that game of tennis, how can they start to get into that state of flow, that state of uh, in the zone? So flow is, is where what you instinctively and implicitly know how to do comes into play without you even thinking about it. And, you know, a golfer will say, you know, I knew that ball was going straight down the ferry fairway before I even struck it. You know, a basketball player would say, I knew that was going to be a swoosh before I even let the ball go. Well, they're in that instinctive state of knowing they're perfectly balanced, perfectly positioned, and everything is working as it should. Um, and everything seems to slow down. You know, time seems to slow down. You're just in the zone and periphery disappears and you're just locked into that lovely state of seamless, focused concentration. Yeah. Mm. And I guess um, the flip side of that is then exactly the opposite. I remember hearing a talk by um, rugby player Gavin Hastings and he talked mm. about that famous kick against England in the World Cup semi-finals in 1991 now I, I won't admit to cheering when he missed it as an England fan but he talked about almost that he could see the posts getting narrower and narrower mm. so I guess it's the flip side of that when people talk about you know I, I, I was seeing the fairway seeing you know seeing cricketers talk about it, the ball look like a beach ball when they're in the zone and going well and he talked about the opposite that i guess as things were narrowing down 
those posts look narrower. Yeah, and that's part of the focus process of stress and cortisol is to narrow your focus into the area of attention where you need to be looking, you know. So if there were, let's, for example, we go back to caveman days and we hear a twig snap and our memory tells us last time I heard a twig snap, there was a saber-toothed tiger. Well, your attention is immediately locked in the direction of that twig snap because whatever comes through the bush might be a threat. So this locking of focus and this narrowing the focus into a very specific, you know, the stitching on the ball that is going to transition through the goalposts is very much what they what, what they teach the players to do, to narrow that focus, mm. to help to control the process, really. Um, and they're actually in their element, aren't they? They're, they're in their zone and they are doing what they have done, you know, th- thousands and thousands of times. And it's going to be an instinctive um, repet- repetition of something they've done so much, so many times before. I guess is that where the where the training and the practice comes in, and so you know the, you you hone it on the practice yeah. field to be able to then fall back on the the natural movements and skills when you're out on the paddock doing it for real. Absolutely, flow state can only happen with instinctive behaviour that you've learned through repetition. Repetition is the mother of retention. That's how the brain learns, and that's how our you know, we, we talk about muscle memory. Well, there is no memory of the muscles. The memory mechanism is in the neurons in the brain, you know, igniting that pathway, which gives you that perfect shot. And, and then so I guess as a, as a result of that side of things, Andy, when people are working out, exercising ways of, sort of dealing with those uh, mental health challenges that we all face on a day to day basis, the stresses, things like that, if we're not getting that regular exercise, getting rid of that cortisol, those sort of things. What happens? What, what are some of the risks of not doing that? Well, both men and women respond differently to stress, both physiologically and psychologically. And when we're not able to, to get rid of the, the pent-up frustration, all of that cortisol that's driving us to take action, um, we respond in different ways. And we know from scientific study that women are much more susceptible if they're under chronic stress, you know, long term um, subjected subjection to stressful situations, pressure uh, that they don't feel able to control, that they're much more susceptible to things like irritable bowel disease, autoimmune disease, fibromyalgia, all of these types of things that are you know, not viruses that are attacking the body or bacteria that is inside the body. It's our own immune system affecting our body. And men are much more susceptible when they're not able to get rid of the cortisol to things like um, hypertension, heart attacks, strokes. Um, we tend to use anger as a mechanism of you know, dis- dispersing the, the cortisol. So mm. it is important that we understand and recognize when we're in stress and also how we can start to help ourselves and stack the odds in our favor uh, you know, getting through that stressful time. And exercise is a great, a great way of doing so. <clears> Most <throat> of us, and I, if I reflect back on my, my corporate career, um, I would tend to drive home and I'd open a bottle of red wine. Yeah. <laughs> and I'd, uh, I'd have a glass of red wine whilst I was preparing dinner for the family. I, I was the cook, so I'd cook my wife myself. I'd have a glass of red wine whilst we were having dinner. And at 10 o'clock, you know, the, gla- the bottle was empty. And I would say that was my mechanism of de-stressing. You know, I enjoy cooking. It helps me to just mm-hmm. change my focus and a glass of red wine mellows me out. <laughs> but that's not a good strategy <laughs> long term. No, we can talk about antioxidants, but that's about the only benefit of the red wine in terms of long term strategy. Yeah. 
yeah, you know, we wake up a little bit more sluggish in the morning and we're a bit of fuzzy headed. And, uh, and of course, our body's got to convert all of those toxins in the alcohol into different chemistry that it, it can then use, you know. Mm. So I guess it's working harder again um, to do we're that. Giving it more stress. Yeah. We're giving it more stress. We're giving it more work to do that it doesn't need to do. So in order for us to get some, some sort of um, headspace, we need to create a time in which to do that. Going for a walk is a lovely way of doing that. You know, we can do that during the day as well. We can, you know, deliberately have a, a five or 10 minute walk during the course of the morning, um, perhaps around the business, even it may be to the coffee machine and back. At lunchtime, we can take a break and we can get some fresh air and have a walk. And again, in the evening, we can do that, you know, when we get home. But it's got to be deliberate. We've got to have a strategy for how we're going to cope with those stressors. Mm. Uh, yeah, because I guess too many of us leave it to chance and, oh, I, I, you know, I didn't get a chance to go out for uh, my workout at the gym or whatever today. Oh, I'll, I'll do it later on in the week or I didn't get out on my bike, so I'll do it later on in the week. Whereas, as you say, if we're being deliberate about it, if it's built in to the schedule, people have actually got an opportunity to do this and then deal with that stress and those factors that build up. And here's a lovely technique that any of the listeners can use at any time where they feel their stress is starting to rise. If you understand the mechanism of when adrenaline is pumping, then our blood is going to be oxygenated and, and we're going to breathe short and sharp. Yeah? And it's very high up in the chest. Our lungs are actually pear shaped. And there are many more blood vessels at the bottom part of the lungs than there are at the top parts. So when we're breathing short and sharp, we're not actually oxygenating properly. So if we can think about that process, because if that's the stress response in play, what would be the opposite? Well, the opposite would be slow and measured breathing. And we can actually invoke something called the relaxation response by simply controlling our breathing, Andy. So mm -hmm. anytime we're breathing out for longer than we breathe in, our brain, the amygdala, the, the brain's security guard, if you like, recognizes that and it says hang on if i'm breathing out for longer than i'm breathing in i can't be in stress response i must be in relaxation and it allows the whole system to relax we can simply do that by breathing in for a count of five seconds or five heartbeats holding mm -hmm. that breath for four seconds and then breathing out slowly through your nose for nine seconds so breathing in for five and taking a full lung of air, if you put your hands where your belly button is and you take a full inhalation through your nose, you should feel your belly button extend out the way as your lungs force your diaphragm down. So that's a full oxygenation. So breathing in for a count of five, holding that breath for a count of four, and in your mind just saying, I've got a calm mind, I've got a strong body, I can deal with this. And then slowly allow yourself to exhale through your nose, for a count of nine. And if you do that three times, then you're only breathing three times a minute because most people breathe 15 to 20 or, or maybe 15 to 30 times a minute in the stress response. Mm -hmm. So when we so, consciously slow it down and mm -hmm. when we do five repetitions of either breathing in for seven seconds and out for 11, yeah, that works as well, a really effective way of doing it. But I like to try and introduce for clients a little mantra that they can start to calm themselves down, you know, in that mm -hmm. headspace, which is frenetic. So I've got a strong mind. I've got a calm body. I can deal with this. Yeah. 
or flip it the other way around. I've got a calm mind and a strong body. I can deal with this, whichever way they like to play those words in their own mind. Brilliant. And again, that's something, as you say, Andy, that if, if people are doing that three to five times, it's taking them a, a minute or two minutes. It's not like they've got to go and spend hours trying to unwind or de-stress in any way. It's just a quick, quick and effective and simple tool that people can use at the desk wherever they are, you know, in, in the supermarket, where, whatever they're doing, wherever that stressor is. Yeah, and nobody needs to know you're doing it. That's the great thing about it. You know, it's a calm, <laughs> relaxing process. No one needs, you can use it for composure before you go into a meeting or before you go into an interview. You know, you can change the mantra to whatever you want it to be. But what you're doing is you're giving your your subconscious mind the instruction that you're you're comfortable, you feel in control, and, you know, we've got this sort of thing. That, that's superb. I think, you know, those sort of little hints and tips are always great that people can use, you know, practical tools that people can just quickly implement. So I'd really encourage our, our listeners to do that. Um, I know you, you, speaking of our listeners, I know you had contact with someone from the last time that you were on the show, one of our listeners who, who talked to you about exactly this and about, you know, their, their physical well-being. And actually it turned out that, again, their, their stress factors were, were a big cause of some of the challenges that they're wanting to or that they're wanting to achieve in their life yeah it, it was a lovely conversation i got I, I got an email from one of the um the listeners after the last session we did they were quite interested in that the, the we were talking about about weight control mm. and how we realign and rebalance our our weight and so he said you know would i would i give him some advice and i, well, I jumped onto a zoom call with him and shared all the information i felt was relevant to help at that time um and it was only afterwards he sent me another message saying i wasn't actually 100 percent honest I know that I need to control my stress levels first because now what you've explained to me is that cortisol will defeat my weight loss or weight alignment efforts because it's uh, it's not going to allow me to lose the body fat because it's going to be in stress response. And that's one of the purposes of cortisol is, you know, not to allow you to defeat yourself. And so if mm -hmm. it feels that the body needs energy, it's not going to let you lose weight. It's going to hang on to it in case it needs it for an emergency. Again, it goes back to that sort of survival instinct that the body's going to say, "Let's let's pack on pack on the uh, the stores in case it's in case we're not going to be able to get replenished in necessary time." Which, of course, in modern day, isn't an issue when we've got um, you know supermarkets just down the end of the road. Absolutely. So the other thing that, that's really beneficial for the listeners, if they feel they're under stress, is to increase their hydration. So what we need to do is flush out the toxins because too much cortisol is toxic inside the body and it starts to break down um, the bodily functions, which is why we get these autoimmune diseases. Um, if you've ever had the flu, Andy, uh -huh. how much energy have you had? If you go back to a time when you had a really heavy cold or a really a bad bout of the flu, how much energy do you have to go about normal day activities? Very little, right? Virtually none, yeah. yeah so because your, your, your immune system will take 80% of your available energy to save your life by fighting this virus or bacteria that's infecting you. And cortisol understands, that, or the brain, the amygdala, if you like, understands that if I'm in fight or flight response, I absolutely want 100% of my available energy to me. I do not want my immune system stealing 80% of it. So I'm going to shut it down. So the process of the stress response is that the immune system gets dialed down. And obviously, because the brain's only interested in survival, it dials up the inflammation system in case the body is injured. Yeah. So when we're stressed, we get aches and pains all over our body because our immune response 
has been affected and our inflammation system has been dialed up. So the quicker we can understand how we get into relaxation, the quicker we can control our breathing, the more we can hydrate to flush out those stress toxins, the more our health will come back into play. And we'll get restorative sleep if we take some exercise, we get the benefit of those endorphins and all of the other chemistry. So with exercise and with the feel good factor of the feeling that we are taking control, we get serotonin, we get dopamine, mm -hmm. we get um, oxytocin, we get those endorphins, we get some endogenous opioids that the brain creates, um, and we get a lot of beneficial chemistry working for us, a lot more than we do in the stress response. So yeah, almost, almost that, that sort of those benefits of just, and, and then as you mentioned right at the start, if you can do it and get outdoors and get that fresh air and a bit of natural daylight as well, then you, you're even, even more getting even more of those benefits. You know, and even just walking at a really brisk pace, you know, where our heart rate, if, if anybody's wearing a heart rate monitor, where you're into the sort of fat burning zone, which is normally about 90 beats to 120 beats per minute. So a good brisk walk, you know, for um, for half an hour, 45 minutes or an hour is is enough to get that system working for us. We are, we are discharging the cortisol. We are giving the brain the feeling that it's actually doing something to get rid of these stressors. And um, the fact that we're oxygenating then and breathing fresh air will we, we'll, we'll, we'll certainly go a long way towards helping us to be more resilient. Fantastic. Andy, that's really great. I think, you know, in terms of giving people both some of the concepts and ideas and the science behind it, as well as then the practical tools that they can use to actually deal with that. Just changing tack completely. I, I am linking back to our conversation on the previous time we had you on the pod. I know that um saw on social media that you caught up with um rugby league and Leeds Rhinos legend Kevin Simfield recently. Obviously, um someone that I enjoyed watching from the terraces um at Headingley as a player, and now he's coaching with Leicester Tigers, the rugby union club. Um he's undertaking another of his mammoth um marathon challenges multi-marathon challenges isn't he to raise funds for motor neurone disease and his former teammate rob burrow you were chatting to him about that and were you passing on hints and tips or what was the conversation there i was invited to a, um, a, a rugby dinner that was raising money for uh, one of kevin's affiliated charities and also some of the money was going towards mnd and Kevin was talking about his career. He was talking about, you know, his love and his passion for what he's doing now for his uh, his good friend, Rob Burrow, and uh, raising awareness for MND. And, you know, there are a number of players now being affected by it. Mm -hmm. So it was quite interesting to understand the scale of that. Um, and, yeah, he declared he was going on to another one of his challenges of running seven ultras in seven days and uh, giving himself an additional load of pressure and stress because he has to get to the... <laughs> The halfway uh, or sort of the halfway line in the uh, the final of the ro of rugby world cup so he's got a lot of a lot of uh, mileage to get under his belts to make sure that he gets the timing right so that he finishes his final run at the half time whistle well i'll i'll be there in old trafford on the 19th of november cheering him in as he comes in at half time so uh, great to hear that and i know you know from your experience of running those ultra marathons consecutively you know exactly what he's going to be putting his mind and body through yeah i shared some tips and techniques he was saying one of the most difficult things he finds is actually doing the training for them because you know you've got a lot of distance typically if you're running a marathon you would run 75 percent of the distance as your longest run in training prior to tapering 
Um, and I kind of shared some insights from my experience was that, you know, pace is king. So it's more about being able to run at a consistent, steady pace that allows you to recover quickly and recuperate from the day's effort, efforts, you know, because running mm. 40 miles a day is, is no mean feat, Andy, as you know. <laughs> Andy, that's brilliant. Thanks ever so much. I'll um, let you get back to enjoying the sunshine in Cyprus and uh, having dragged you away from the, the family holiday to join us today. Really appreciate you jumping in and uh, we'll let you get back to enjoying the rest of your uh, time off and time away, making the most of that opportunity to exercise and train in the uh, in the natural sunlight. Andy, thanks for the invite. It was really nice to be able to step in and help out at the last minute and keep up the great work, guys. Brilliant. Thanks ever so much, Andy. Take care and speak to you soon. Well, that was absolutely fantastic from Andy. Really enjoyed that. And hopefully some hints and tips there that all of our listeners can incorporate into their day-to-day life a couple of minutes to really reduce the stress levels to get those benefits that Andy was talking about. So that brings us to the end of this week's episode. So thank you again for being here with us. Please do listen out for the contact details at the end. If you've got any queries, questions about anything we've covered tonight, if you've got any suggestions for sports that you'd like Tony to look into or investigate and give us an update on from his travels in Australia, then please do while he's still there in country. Um, And otherwise, we look forward to you joining us next week at a time and place that suits you. Um, for another great episode. So thanks so much, folks. Null and Void with Tony Grundy and Andy Callahan. Together, they don't add up to much. If you have a sports story, you can contact the team on nandv at forthenow.co.uk.